talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. And it's day two of our deep dive into Ohio State's quarterbacks who are currently on the roster and are at least expected to be on the roster this spring. We're not doing Tristan Jebbia. So the two quarterbacks who are expect- currently on the roster and are probably going to play in this cotton ball on December 29th against Missouri. We did Devin Brown on Thursday. The Lincoln Keenholst one's not going to be as deep of a dive. And it's not because we don't care about Lincoln Keenholst. We do. We care about Lincoln Keenholst deeply for what we do for a living. It's just, we don't know nearly as much about him, Nathan. He's been here for a year. Well, not even that. He's been here since June, and he was the clear, maybe four-string quarterback if everybody is healthy in this situation. But what we do know about him, former 190 player, 15 quarterback in the 2023 recruiting class, a guy they added late in the cycle. Did he do about what you expected for him to do this year? I think he played like 15 snaps or something like that and threw a couple passes, but there really wasn't going to be much more we were going to see from him this year. I mean, honestly, based on Ohio State's quarterback usage, like especially like third string quarterback usage in recent years, I think he maybe did more. Like we got to see him throw several passes in mop up duty this mm-hmm. year. I think that some of that was influenced. I'm not sure if Tristan Jebbia was available down the stretch. We know Devin Brown had some days where he wasn't available. So that did maybe put, Keenholz in some situations where he could play when he otherwise wouldn't have or earlier in games even than he otherwise would have so in some ways he got a better I would argue like a better freshman game experience than anybody since I've started covering this team like better than CJ Stroud did his freshman year wasn't didn't throw the ball Kyle McCord uh he actually got to start I guess that would actually be the best example Kyle McCord actually got to start a game but Keenholz would probably be number two on that list and uh it's you know, we'll see if it's a thing that actually pays dividends. I know that at the start of this year, we were probably like two, three games into the year. And I asked Ryan Day in one of the Thursday lightning rounds, do you like, are we going to see him? Like, what's the, what's kind of the plan with him? And at that point in the season, he was definitely still talking about him as being very raw, that they really liked what he was going to be eventually, but Hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. He just got here. Let's let him figure out uh, which way is up. Uh, I'm, those aren't words he used because he doesn't talk like a folksy Midwesterner, whatever. I'm cow pasture guy like me, but it definitely made it clear that like, let's not assume that this guy can like run out there and play. I think that it was a good sign that they trusted him by the end of the year that he could go into games again, not knowing what the status of those guys ahead of him, but they trusted him to go into games and look like he belonged. And I think he did. I don't know that he went in and dazzled because you don't get at opportunity really in games. We didn't get to see him much in practices. We got to see a little bit, and that looked good too. But he, yeah, he did about what I thought, and I thought it was good that we got to see him actually throw a football, which is, again, not a guarantee with Ohio State backup quarterbacks. So he played 20 snaps, 12 against Michigan State, and then eight against Minnesota. He completed four of the five passes he threw for 25 yards, and 18 of those yards went to two catches to Jelani Thurman, who I think flashed in those moments as well especially since he kept flashing the first down signal, even if he wasn't getting a first down, which I thought was fun to rewatch and rewatch because I wasn't there at the Michigan State game. But, Andrew, let's just take a look back at his recruitment real quick. Just give us the story. of How did he end up being Ohio State's 2023 quarterback? Yeah, well, so he's a late riser. Um, you know, you look at the rankings, you know, 247 has the, it's really insightful actually as to kind of how guys are viewed. Um, on June 28th, 
2022, he entered the rankings as the number 879 composite player in the 247 rankings. Like, that's not a player that you look at as, hey, this is Ohio State quality, right? Like, this is an Ohio State quality quarterback. This is a player that you'd look at and say, wow, man, this is it. You know, this is a guy who you just feel great about. Um, and he committed. That was right when he committed to Washington. Um, he committed to Washington in late June, and he was, oh, that feels about right for Washington. It doesn't look at Ohio State's rankings, but he had a really good senior season, and you look at the rankings, and those rankings kind of bear that out. You know, we got up towards in December. At this time in 2022, uh, he was the number 205 player in the country. That's a fairly significant jump for a kid who is playing in his senior year. So he does that. He has that great senior year. He visits Ohio State late in November. Ohio State offers a week later, and then he decommits from Washington and commits to Ohio State. Almost a year from when we record this podcast, December 14th, he committed to Ohio State. So he was kind of a late bloomer and a late riser. Um, It's a bit unique recruiting a player out in that part of the country for Ohio State. I mean, look at the last couple of quarterbacks. They got a quarterback, Macau McCourt. He was out of Philly. Quinn Ewers was out of Texas. Uh, Tavian St. Clair is out of Ohio. Aaron Nolan's out of Georgia. You know, these are more prototypical, more, hey, this is kind of a stereotypical football state, if you will. Nothing against South Dakota. It's just that they don't have a lot of, like, they don't have a lot of five-star talent coming out of South Dakota. Um, So Ohio State pulls him out of Pierre, and um, he committed in December, enrolled in June. So a bit of a late riser and a bit of a unique case because he was a quarterback that you, that you take and you kind of understand, all right, might take a bit. It might take a little bit longer. He might not see the field, especially at an Ohio State, because think about where this room was in June of last year. You know, think about where this room was in December of last year. And you're looking at this room going, he might not see the field for a little bit, but that was kind of the plan with uh, with Keen Holtz when they got him. Andrew, I just want to correct something uh, really quick. Um, fans of the National Intercollegiate Rodeo Association would quibble with your characterization that no five stars come out of South Dakota. I, I think they I are do probably... apologize to the <laughs> National Intercollegiate Rodeo place. Association. Fame. Association. Association. Don't you don't know. We know about your Naira <laughs> Fantasy League that you obsess over. Exactly. Yeah. I have I have a family who I, I, I used to go to South Dakota in the summers um, for to visit family uh, who mercifully later moved to Illinois. So we didn't have to do that that often. But I spent some fun times in, in South Dakota. What's the most fun thing you've ever done in South Dakota? And I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, genuinely, uh, I have no well, idea. Well, OK, so it's also like 35 years ago at this point because I got I got old somehow. But like, I mean, Mount Rushmore is there. You got to go like up in the hill. We camped up there and like did Mount Rushmore stuff. I remember they lived in this tiny little town that had like this old timey uh, ice cream shop that we went to. So um, I, I think they're all tiny towns actually in South Dakota, mostly. But, um, you know, it's for someone who grew up in like central Illinois, mm-hmm. surrounded by cow pastures, as I said before, uh, going to South Dakota wasn't like a big step down. Yeah, and South Dakota feels like a place where if you love national parks, you might love South Dakota. If you love hiking just, and all that kind of stuff and just kind of being on your own, you might love South Dakota. South I don't Dakota think I would love is, South Dakota, but I think people yeah. might. <laughs> I think South Dakota and North Dakota and that whole area basically just are national parks. Like, I know they eventually say that the national park ends somewhere, but 
for, for, for all intents and purposes, like it's just all Yellowstone up there, right? It's Yellowstone, Black Hills. We decided to carve it up and give them state names. So I just, while you guys were doing that, because I don't know anything about South Dakota, man. I grew up in the inner city. Ohio, the last player Ohio State signed from South Dakota was Grant Schmidt, who was a number 464 player in the 2015 class. So they've got a relationship up there with South Dakota a little bit. But then on top of that. <laughs> Wait a second. There's nobody on this staff who was there in 2015, right? I'm just saying. No. Uh, 2015? Yeah. Larry, Larry? Johnson. Larry, yeah, yeah. Just Larry. Was, and like Mark was... Fantoni and, and Mick Marotti were still running okay. stuff. So That's true. It, it, there's enough. Play. But, you got to remember, he took a I'm, lot of urban staff. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that Mark Fantoni was setting up a post in South Dakota <laughs> in 2015 that he knew one day would would pay dividends just a decade later. I'm sure well, that happened. the long game. I looked it up. There are 13 <laughs> state parks and 43 recreation areas, six nature areas, and one trail, totaling approximately 96,000 acres in South Dakota. So that's why you want to go recruit South Dakota, because you want to see some state parks and some see some see some nature. We, but, we're, we're, we're throwing some shade at South Dakota that it, it probably yeah, doesn't matter. That wasn't but, shade. That, was like, that's a, that sounds like a very nice area to go hiking and to go see all that stuff. But I think it's worth, like, it's interesting to think that this could be, like, what if he is Ohio State's next quarterback? What if he's Ohio State's, Mm -hmm. or gets to be the starting quarterback for a season? Like, we don't know. Like, things are really weird in that quarterback room, uh, depending on the year. And right now, the year has gotten very weird. But, like, the idea that Ohio State identified someone in South Dakota, found him to come here and, and be someone in line to potentially play someone who they think his upside probably exceeds mm-hmm. what his recruiting ranking is. I think that's an intriguing thing to, to have on the horizon because what if Ohio state decides it does need to go to the portal, but they get a short term portal person who knows what rep- repercussions that has in the room, but it, it sets you up where it's not unrealistic that in 2015, it's like third year, uh, Lincoln Keenholz against second year Aaron Olin competing to be the starting mm-hmm. quarterback. And they like what, what Lincoln Keenholz is at, at his essence that it's raw, but mm-hmm. there's something that intrigues Ryan day about this. And it's just a matter of like with all these quarterbacks, does he get there at the right trajectory of when Ohio state needs them to be the starting quarterback? And that's why we're talking about it this way. That's why I'm bringing up people from South Dakota. Like, he's the highest rated guy of South Dakota in the last decade. The, the guy who's closest to him was in the 2021 class, and his name was Randolph Kapai. He was number 268 and the number 31 linebacker. But he is miles ahead of where that guy was. And that's why it's like South Dakota randomly has this top 200 recruit pop up. And he's a quarterback at a time when Ohio State was looking for a specific type of quarterback prospect in that 2023 class after spending multiple years getting top 50 recruits. And they found it in this kid who was committed to Washington and he's from South Dakota state. And they see a lot of upside and what he can be. But the reason why his project was always going to be long is he does come from a state who traditionally doesn't have the most elite talent come out of it. But if it pays off, it's a heck of a home run because there has always been an eye on the way this was supposed to go and nothing ever goes as planned. Ever. That's not how life goes. But there has been this idea that if Kyle McCord could do the Mac Jones, Dwayne Haskins thing, and then Devin Brown could do it again, then you get to 2025. And as you just mentioned, Nathan, you have third year Lincoln Keenholz and second year Aaron Nolan 
let's see what we've got here. And maybe from and from that, you might get your first multi-year starting quarterback in a little bit. Now, they did get one year at Kyle McCord, but it didn't go the way that maybe they, they envisioned it to go. It's not because he's going to the NFL. It's because he's going to another school. But that is still on the table, this idea that you get to 2025, and that's where your battle is. But also, hey, maybe a full offseason is all Lincoln Keenholz needs, and it puts him in a position where he can genuinely ta- challenge Devin Brown or whoever else they bring in here to be the starter for this season. A couple more things I want to bring up before we t- take a quick break and then get to what it means for him. Nathan, we like you, we saw very little of him, very very little, like the almost the least amount you could possibly see from a kid, but. When a guy commits to Ohio State, we do our research and try to get an understanding of what type of player Ohio State is getting, especially at the most important position in sports. What is Lincoln Keenholz? And, and there's almost a sliding scale of the most extreme athlete is Justin Fields. The most extreme non-athlete pocket passer is probably Dwayne Haskins. Where does Lincoln Keenholz fall on that scale? I think Lincoln Keenholz is... I think there's a chance that Lincoln Keenholz, from a mobility standpoint, is what fans think Devin Brown is, which is not as mobile as Lincoln Keenholz is. Does that make sense? Like, I think that the people who are, who see a big contrast between Brown and McCord in terms of their running ability, I think it's more true that Keenholz is the more mobile, was the most mobile quarterback on the roster this past year. That if he could develop as a passer whether you're talking about in terms of arm strength, accuracy, reads, all those things, that there, the, the intrigue on him is that he does have these athletic skills that would allow him to maybe just be more naturally creative while also still working within the framework of an offense, maybe do more off-platform work, certainly be a, a more of a run threat, although, again, it takes us back to the same conversation we had regarding Devin Brown as to when it's the starting quarterback, Will Ryan Day pull the trigger on that? You know, um, it was at least in terms of having them run as a first option, not just sort of letting them run um, scramble as as Justin Fields so often did. Although Justin Fields was, I mean, I remember the the touchdown that he scored against Florida Atlantic. I believe I can't remember was that off a scramble that like first touchdown run that he had, or was that a designed run like a, a delayed draw? I'm so, thinking it's the no, latter. I the can't Michigan remember. State. You talking about the Michigan State one? That was a no. I said. I'm sorry. Did I say Stroud? I meant Justin Fields. The first touchdown that oh, he had in, in his debut yeah, yeah, game against a, Florida Atlantic. Yeah, that was a read option against Florida okay. Atlantic. The 50 yeah. yarder one. Yeah, that was a read yes. option. So, so you know that option is out there. I think for the starting quarterbacks, and I would think that as you're stacking your room this way, that it would give you the freedom to do that and not worry as much about the starter getting hurt. If you really have the confidence that you've drafted, if you've recruited elite guys, I almost said drafted, recruited elite guys at every step, at every class, right? That, um, you know, it would give you the freedom to, to turn those guys loose. So uh, I, that's kind of how I see him. When I saw him this spring and in preseason camp, again, kind of short glimpses because McCord and, and Brown got the bulk of the, the real reps that we watched. But you saw some of that. I thought you saw a guy whose athleticism would flash a little bit. Obviously not ready, not didn't have the polish yet of the older quarterbacks, but you could see a little something there. Something that I think that if the fans who were there, because fans did get to see some practices, I mean, I think they came out of those practices 
kind of being like, oh, like that guy's got a little bit of something to him, a little bit of wiggle, a little bit of, of uh, ability to, to get out and be creative. So not saying that I, I know that every time you hear a description like that, there are certain fans who are like, wait, we've got Josh Allen back there. Like what's going on? Like I'm not making any kind of comparisons like that. I'm just trying to um, just to give you a description of what he is without trying to make it a, a comparison into something that he's not. Andrew, when you watch his high school film, is that what pops out the most about the athleticism? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the, it, it, it is hard because, you know, it's athleticism in a different type of way. I think it's a little bit similar to what Nathan was saying, where it's like with Devin Brown, athleticism doesn't mean you are Mike Vick or Lamar Jackson running around. Like athleticism can mean you've got mobility and escapability in the pocket, right? And that can be kind of your athleticism. So, you know, I, I think that I want to see what he looks like in spring practice to see kind of how that translates. Um, you know, but I think you, you watch on tape and you see, okay, like this kid's got a nice touch. He can throw the ball well, and he can move enough to where it can be an asset to him. Not in the way that you can design runs for him, maybe, but in the way that you can get him outside the pocket, move him around a little bit. So I think the traits are there. And that's what you see on, on high school tape. Sometimes you watch guys and you say, yep, he's kind of finished product. Like, I mean, I know it, it, this is a completely unfair comparison, but just to compare, like you look at Jeremiah Smith and you say, yeah, that dude's good. That dude's a finished product. That dude kind of has it all where it, with Keenholz, I think you see the tools that are there and you can kind of see the buildings and the makings of something. So that's Keenholz, the player. And I think I agree with Nathan. He's probably the best athlete in the room right now. Now, will we feel that way in two months when Aaron Nolan gets in the room? I still think so. I still think from the athleticism standpoint, he's probably the best guy in the room. That's him as the player. We'll take a quick break there. When we come back, we're going to do exactly what we did with Devin Brown. I'm going to break down what this means for, for, for Lincoln Keenholz and what it would mean for him to win the job. What would it mean for him to lose the job? Every, basically, what we did with Devin Brown for about – 45 minutes on the Thursday pod. We're going to do exactly that with Lincoln Keynotes, except we're not going to do it for 45 minutes because it's just not as long of a conversation. So we'll get more into that. Plus, if you stick around to the end of the pod, there's going to be a special guest who joins this pod for the first time. And you got to stick around to find out who that is here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text 614-350-3315. News, analysis, Thoughts, concerns, we do surveys, everything you would possibly want. Two-week free trial, $3.99 after that. There's always a good time to join. There's never a good time to leave. That should be our slogan. I'm going to workshop that with our bosses. But get the text, 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, $3.99 after that. Andrew, I want to start with you. Lincoln Keenholz is not in year three. So I don't know if the, it's not the same concept as it was with Kyle McCord coming in the last spring or Joe Burrow back in 2018, or even Devin Brown coming into this spring where it's like, Hey, does this kid deserve an answer on what's going on here at the end of the spring? It is a little bit more leeway, especially since he's been operating under a different plan that there's always been more of a long-term view. But if he somehow wins this job, what does that mean for Ohio State's quarterback room going forward and what it might look like? If Keenholz win this job, I, I think it depends on when's he, when he wins it. Because 
if we have another Kyle McCord, Devin Brown situation, then, then I think you could kind of make the case that nothing would really change for 2024. I think you could make the case that you're going to have Keen Holtz as your one, Devin Brown's your two, Nolan's three, maybe bring in a portal guy like it. And this, this is with, this is with the assumption that, or with the understanding, however you want to phrase it, that there is not a portal guy because a portal guy would kind of throw this whole thing haywire and kind of change how we view this entire thing. But like if Keenholz wins this job in spring, I mean, I think that it could have some pretty wide ranging effects on the room because if Keenholz wins the job and he is just so clearly the starter, why would Devin Brown stay around? Right? Like why, like why would Devin Brown be on the roster if he has been passed over by somebody younger than him? And he knows that there's a five-star nipping at his heels now too. So, then if Devin Brown goes, then you definitely need a portal guy because your one-two punch would be Keenholz, who hasn't played anything yet, and Aaron Olin, who would have had one spring practice and one fall camp, and that is it. So y- you want to get a veteran in there, I think, definitely. So it depends on when, when he wins the job that under this parameter that would kind of change things, I think. So We'll we'll have to see. I think that if you play it out throughout the season, you could make the case that, yeah, you know what? Not a lot's going to change because maybe Devin Brown will still be here. He's your backup, things like that. But if Keenholz wins this job early, like if he wins this job before the NFL draft, right, then I think you can make a case that there's going to be some significant changes to this room. Um, I don't think it impacts Aaron Olin. I don't think it impacts Tavian St. Clair. Because if Keenholz wins this job as a sophomore, then or technically a redshirt freshman, then you're looking at a guy who is probably on that NFL track of going to play 24, going to play 25, and then he's gone, and he's in the NFL. So I, I think that you could kind of look at this and say Aaron Nolan would be ready for that job in 26. And however the room is going to shake out down the line, that's fine. But I think it depends on when when he could win it that would really kind of impact the room. Nathan, that's more of the long term view. But we, we we I think we all came to the conclusion on the Thursday pod that we're at least expect, expecting Devin Brown to be the starter at the Cotton Bowl. Now, how it plays out throughout the game, what the snap distribution looks like, that's still up in question here because they can pretty much do whatever they they feel they need to do while also trying to win this football game. But what if Lincoln Keenholz is a starter? And I know it's it, 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 the odds are probably slim, probably less than fifteen percent chance that he starts in the Cotton Bowl. But what if he spends the next thirty days looking in a way where, like Ryan Day's, like you know what, we're gonna start planning for our future really, and we're gonna put this guy out here because he's this guy not only gives us the best chance to win, but this is a guy who we think long term is our best option to potentially be our starting quarterback, even if the battle isn't over. Well, of the two quarterbacks they have, the one they feel the most like that about is Devin Brown. Like, there's, there, I talking to people inside the Woody recently, like, that's been, that, that had jumped out to me, like, after the McCord transfer, like, this is a big opportunity for Devin Brown. They, mm-hmm. People say that. They don't necessarily say this is a big opportunity for Lincoln Keenel. It's obviously, it would be if he played that game. Um, mm-hmm. That would be a chance to show what you can do, make a big impression. It's also a chance if you're not ready to uh, be put in a bad situation that, doesn't set you up for success in the future. And I think Ohio State would be 
cognizant of that and aware of that. And just the fact that this guy has only been here since July and came also from not the same background. I mean, of the quarterbacks Ohio State has brought in, if you think about it, you know, Comacord was playing in a pretty big deal high school league from mm-hmm. where he was. And CJ Stroud, you know, you're playing in suburban Los Angeles. There's some real talent in that league. And in South Dakota, it's just not the same. It, it just isn't. Hey, Justin Fields was playing in suburban Atlanta against, you know, future Division One guys. And Trevor right. Lawrence is up the road. Like, you, it's, it's a different thing. And I just don't know if Lincoln Keenholz has nothing to do with his skills, really, his underlying skills. It's, is the package refined enough at this stage of his career that putting him out there is setting him up for future success? But I think it is definitely intriguing. Like we were talking about, like, what if they did, what if they just promoted everybody up one spot and like Devin Brown is now the Kyle McCord and Lincoln Heenolds is now the Devin Brown and you can run the goal line package with Lincoln Heenolds that you ran with Devin Brown. I think that that would make Mm -hmm. potentially a lot of sense because he does still have a dual threat capability to where, yes, you're losing, using his legs first and foremost, you're not. You're, you're, you're protecting your starting quarterback from being exposed to that contact and that injury risk, but also potentially um, doing something that can ignite the offense a little bit and give you something that you've been missing in the, in the red zone all season. And that's especially true since we still don't know exactly which other pieces of this offense are going to play in that game. They may be down to one running back plus Xavier Johnson if he decides <laughs> to play and is fine hanging out in the backfield for a, a good chunk of that game. So, I'm intrigued by not so much like if he could start and what that would look like. I think that would be kind of a shock if he like started and it was just like a revelation. That seems like mm-hmm. it's probably, I mean, this is Missouri that they're playing. This is a 10 and two team from the sec. Like this is a team that got on the same field as Georgia and looked like it belonged and could have in what could have won that game. If you play that 10 times, I don't know if Georgia wins all 10. So like that they're, they're legitimate. This is a good team that they're about to play. And I think you want to be pretty careful about not putting a guy in a situation that he's not ready for. And they've had to do that at some other positions in recent years. And you can sort of get by because you can, you can manipulate things and, and cover for guys. It's so much harder to do that at at quarterback, obviously. Given his background, and the plan that has been in place for him since he got here. And this is almost independent of everything else. It's just because each, each person is still their own on their own individual journey. I think you're right. First and foremost, that would be crazy if he's a starting quarterback out there. Then we have a whole different discussion to be having. But it was worth asking. What are the chances he's not even QB2 next year? Simply, and it's And it's not because he's not good. It's because... He's from South Dakota. He's a, he, there's top 50 and five-star recruits he's surrounded around. And there's all, there was always, regardless of what the room looked like, going to be an extra learning curve he had to deal with that, quite frankly, a kid from Arizona, a kid from Georgia, and if they bring a portal guy in, he's going to, at worst, be a veteran in college football, don't have to go through. Well, I think, I don't know if it's, I think it, that might even be overcomplicating things with, oh, it's a kid from, you know, Florida, Georgia, California, whatever, that doesn't have to go through that learning curve. I just think it might be Aaron Nolan's coming and Aaron Nolan's really good. 
And I, I understand the learning curve thing of it, but I also look at it as like an individual thing where you could just say like, Aaron Nolan just might be that dude who you, you have to make sure that he's as close to playing time as possible. And he might be that dude who you see him play and you're like, yeah, man, we can't leave this guy off the field. Like the first snaps, whenever we're up, you know, 74 to nothing on Akron, like when, when that happens, it's going to air Nolan. Like the second that we decide that we're pulling the shoot, we're going to air. And I don't think that that's unreasonable. And I don't even know. I don't think that that has anything to do with, you know, the environment that Keenholz played into. I think, it, I mean, I think part of it maybe, but I also just think that, yeah, there's a dude who's coming from Georgia. Who's a five-star recruit. Who's one of the best players in the country, not quarterbacks, players. And he just might be better than Lincoln Keenholz. And, and I think that that's a completely reasonable thing to say too, that forget the area that they, you know, obviously that's just kind of shapes who you are as a player and shapes who you are and what you know and, and the things that you can do on the field. But I think it just might be as simple as, hey man, they have a dude who's better than him right now on the backup, on the uh, as a backup right now. And Nathan, we've seen that before, right? I mean, Jack Miller was a guy, now some of that is with context. Jack Miller was a top 100 recruiting and injuries got in his way as a high school career. But he, when he graduated, he was a guy in the low 200s to 300s and there was a five-star recruit behind him. And when it, the dust settled and C.J. Stroud couldn't play for a week, the five-star freshman got the start over the guy who had been in year two who was maybe a little more of a middle-of-the-road recruit. Is that something that is on the table in this situation? If, just for the sake of, in some of this type of, just to, whoever the starting, let's just say Devin Brown is, because that's who's actually on the roster. Devin Brown is your starting quarterback, and then in like week three, he's got something where he can't play. Would you be that shocked? If we get to that game and it plays out the exact same way I did in 2021 with a five-star freshman gets the start over the second year guy. No, because as you guys are pointing out, Lincoln Keenholz only is going to have like a four-month head start over Aaron Oland. And Aaron Oland, in some ways, has a head start in other parts of his development, even if he's a year behind in age or classification, right? Like just, just in terms of... Maybe, maybe what he is as an athlete at top to bottom, that, that may be more advanced. That may be, there may be just be a better package of skills there. But then also, I think just where he's playing compared to, you know, it's, it's, it's like the Southeast is, <laughs> the difference between the Southeast and the South Dakota in terms of like the football talent that comes out of those places is pretty significant. Like pretty, pretty significant. So, that is going to be, I think, a factor that could, more than it being something that holds Lincoln Keenholz back, I think it's just something that helps Aaron Nolan be the five-star that he is now and top 30, 35, whatever he is, and potentially someone who teams look at as someone who isn't going to need a long incubation period to get to the point where they could start. And you look at someone like Devin Brown. Like It wasn't like, I know he's you know Utah or whatever, but he was still in some bigger city environments came from Arizona before that like the, mm-hmm. there was more of a more of a like conventional like Keenholz is sort of the outlier that a guy from someplace like South Dakota ends up being a quarterback prospect at Ohio State Devin Brown's um, plat- path was a little bit more conventional a lot more conventional I would say and even in his second year after a full year in the program got here the previous spring so he had all that extra time 
he still wasn't ready to start. Mm-hmm. There was still somebody ahead of him and somebody who didn't even go out and be one of the very best quarterbacks in college football who who he couldn't beat out. So Nolan's going to come in in the spring and have that extra time. If this were something where Nolan wasn't going to show up until the summer, then I think it's a different conversation. Because I think it's just hard for anybody to show up in July and be your starting quarterback at any point that year. Oh, I mean, I mean, they can do it if you're just forced into it, but whether they're ready to do it, whether they know the offense well enough, whether they have the right um, just sort of feel for the game and what it means to read defenses at this level, that's a lot to ask them to do in, in such a short amount of time. We have seen excellent quarterbacks do it. And certainly if it looks like Aaron Olin is in position to do that, whether they need him to or not, that'll tell us a lot. Frankly, it'll tell us a lot about Lincoln Keenholz. If we get into next season and it's like three or four weeks in, if Ryan Day is saying like, hey, like, you know, quarterback X is our starter for a reason. Like he was the best choice. Devin Brown, transfer guy, whoever. Uh, but I mean, man, mm-hmm. Lincoln Keenholz and Aaron Oland are really impressing us in practice. Like I think if we had to put them out there, it, it would be all right. Like we'd be okay. And if that I think would be a positive sign for both of those guys because they're still so relatively early in their development. Like Keenholz, like I said, just doesn't have that much of a head start over someone who's coming here in this next class in the winter. They're both going to be going through spring practice for the first time. That's a very yes. important variable in all of this is that everything Aaron Nolan's doing for the first time up until July, Lincoln Keenholz will also be doing for the first time. Let's wrap up with this then. Because I think... That's a good point you made earlier, Nathan. Missouri is good. They're a top 10 team in the country, according to the college football playoff rankings. Like, this is not, you're not playing Liberty, man. So there is an element to this, depending on some of these opt-outs. This game could also just be competitive in a way that maybe they don't test things out and both of these guys don't get meaningful snaps. So just, Andrew, we'll start with you. What is your realistic expectation for what you want to see? from Lincoln Keenholz in the Cotton Bowl if he gets an opportunity. Ooh, in the Cotton Bowl. Um, I think the thing that I would want to see from him, and, and obviously this would, you know, not this would be a question for him maybe afterwards or for Ryan Day, probably even better afterwards. I want to see a guy who looks like he can handle the offense. You don't have to go out there and go 14 of 15 for 200 yards and two touchdowns. I just want to see a guy look like, hey, the investment that Ohio State has made in you, the futures bet, basically, that Ohio State has made in you is paying off, right? Like, it looks good. I want to see a guy who can not melt down, basically. And I know that sounds like a very low bar, but you got to remember, he, as of four days ago, five days ago, was the third string quarterback on this team. How many third string quarterbacks and everybody's going to scream and yell about uh, 2014 Ohio State. But how many third-string quarterbacks realistically, again, realistically, can go out there and look like a stud, especially one that's a true freshman? Not many, if any. So, you know, I I think that with Keenholz, I would want to see a guy who you can make some reads, make make the right reads. Make the right decisions when you're throwing the ball. Don't, you know, don't dance with the turnover devil. Don't do a lot of things that look dangerous and look kind of like, don't, don't do that. You know, just make the simple throws, make the easy throws, make everything look calm. You don't have to go out there and light the world on fire. It doesn't have to be the greatest show on turf Rams, 
but you have to go out there and just look competent. And I think competency, again, there are a lot of Ohio State fans who might be saying that this is, this is you know, that should be the bare minimum. Well, yeah, I'm kind of looking at the bare minimum for him for this game. Like I said, he was the third string quarterback, probably didn't get a lot of reps during the season. Um, you know, he showed up in the summer. He didn't get a lot of reps during the season. I think Cotton Bowl practices are going to be bigger for him than the actual game because this is the time where he's actually going to get to see some some actual number one versus number one. He's going to get to mix in there a little bit, and I think that that's going to be really big for him. So for me, it's just a matter of what can you do that can prove to me you are improving at this, and that's what I would want to see. I think poise is maybe the word you're yeah, looking for. That's, that's kind of the thing that, that I'd be looking for because I think a, a if I'm reading Ohio State fans correctly, and I, I think that I am, we hear it from a lot of them, talk to a lot of them. The problem with Kyle McCord was that it didn't feel like things were progressing to that next level, that it felt like things were kind of plateauing for him. And when you saw things like the lack of pocket presence and how that still seemed to be a recurring problem late in the year, at least up through the Wisconsin game and possibly farther than that, that that was a that was kind of a red flag for them. And, and the, the issue that they had when then Devin Brown came into games, even people who were maybe inclined to be very intrigued by his skill set, when he would come in, it still looked kind of skittish. Now, it's not completely fair because he wasn't getting the same opportunities to go in in live fire and kind of get some of that stuff worked out, right? And he was trying to, I think he had a little bit of the same thing that Kyle McCord probably had in that Akron game as a freshman, which was like, you know, if I come in and really light it up, like there's, there's, he, he's probably feeling a huge opportunity in like mop up time, which may or may not have even been true. And he sometimes I thought felt a little bit just unsure of himself out there. He looked unsure of himself. I think if Keenholz gets to play, that would maybe be the refreshing thing for fans is if Keenholz comes out and looks like he just is ready for the moment, like just come out and you just, I mean, you're, you're probably going to get, you know, pressured at some point and you have to deal with it. But like, does it just feel more, I used to use the word calm, Andrew. And I don't know if that's the word I would use, but I know what you're getting at there. Like it just feel like things feel like they are at the right speed. He is up to the speed of the game and it's not moving too fast for him or too complicated for him. I think just poise, just looking like he belongs on the field, I think. And again, that's, that's a far cry from what I think fans, when you hear about a guy's skill set, you watch him in the high school film, you think, oh man, like if you put a helmet on that guy and like turn him loose, like what's going to happen? I don't think that's, I don't think that's on the table yet, especially against an opponent like this, but just getting him in there and watching him sort of operate with a level of confidence, I think would be a, a good first step. And I would even call it sort of a first step because all we've seen from him so far is, is snaps. that didn't matter. You guys sound like a bunch of coaches going with the responsible answers. Boo. Say I something see him irresponsible, Steven. I want to hear it. Say Somebody something ridiculous. I want to see him throw for five. Th- no, I'm joking. Let's go. I Let's just go. Wanna, I want to see him flash. The thing that's going to make him special whenever he does, if he ever becomes Ohio State starting quarterback. Whether that's in 24, 25, 20, whenever that happens. Because I think that was the issue with Kyle McCord. And Nathan, we talked about that on the rewatch pod after the Michigan game, is that I don't think that moment, the light ever came on in a significant way 
long term of like, oh, that's why Ryan Day wanted that guy. And we talked about the poise and the stand calm in those rough moments. And that's cool, but that's also like his personality, dude. He's just, you know, straight all the time. So that I, I don't know how much of that you can put into a talent bin. We saw it with Justin Fields eventually. We saw it with C.J. Stroud. Even in flashes, even before it really turned on, we saw the flashes of it. With Devin, I mean, he's probably going to play a lot in this game, so we're going to be able to see those flashes. With any of these quarterbacks, that's always going to be – it's like, show me the reason why Ryan Day picked you. Even if it's not ready, it's not fully cooked yet. I want to see the early signs of it that fans can get excited and get behind an idea that that guy might be our QB one one day. And whether that comes in the form of meaningful snaps, because that's how Ryan Day decides to play it, or maybe it comes at the end of an already decided game where you're just trying to get Lincoln a little bit more experience because you're definitely not worried about red shirts anymore. I just want to see it, man. I want to see the thing that makes him because Ryan Day is looking for special traits. And this is the first opportunity of many that we're going to get over the next how many more years he's here that we get a chance to see a glimpse of if there is one actually there because what Ryan Day has shown us with how this has played out with Kyle McCord you got to have a special trait and it's got to turn on at some point so I want to see what that looks like speaking of South Dakota (laughs) bringing this full circle here we're going to take this last break and then after that we're going to have a small little Interesting interview with Ohio State Heisman Trophy. Yeah, yeah, you see. I know, I know where you're going with it. I know where you're going with it. You see, you see the vision now. You see the vision. I was confused where you were going to lead that. I got a chance to talk with Marvin Harrison Jr. today, one on one. We did like a five to six minute interview. It was it was fun. There was not going to be no hard hitting news that came out of that. There's time and place. We already wrote about that. that, By the the way, yeah, we wrote about that. This was a chance to just have some fun and have a real uh, some conversations about. Him, his career, the wide receiver room as a whole, his impact on that room. And then at the end of it, we did a pod on it, an hour and a half long pod about Ohio State's Mount Rushmore of wide receivers. And we all put Marvin Harrison firmly on it. So why not ask the guy who's firmly on it, who he thinks his Mount Rushmore of wide receivers. And I made him put himself on it. So really, he only had three spots at first. So stay tuned for that. That'll be the last thing you hear from us. So for Nathan and for Andrew Gillis, that's this Buckeye talk. Now here's Marvin Harrison Jr. on who he thinks the four best wide receivers are in Ohio State football history. This is Stephen Means, joined by the one and only Marvin Harrison Jr. in an area he knows well, the end zone. I think you've gotten in here 30-plus times in your career. And just talk about the fact that you are a Heisman Trophy finalist. And as a wide receiver, when you look at that Ohio State wide receiver room and that lineage, to get to this point for that wide receiver room, what does it mean for you and then what does it mean for the room? Yeah, it's definitely a blessing. Um, I'm surprised I'm the first one, really, with all the talent that we've had in that room. And uh, I'm just glad I can represent that room, you know, on a big stage like the Heisman, being a Heisman finalist and uh, just bring awareness to zone six really as a whole and always debates about who's wide receiver you and things like that. So I'm glad I can kind of put on a show for them. Any previews to what the suit is going to look like? <laughs> no, nah, no previews. Uh, it's something I haven't worn before, though, I will say that. You talk about the wide receiver you conversation, and you mentioned it over there when we were talking to LSU and Alabama in that conversation. Mm-hmm. If you had to say just top five, don't have to rank them. Yeah. Top five wide receiver schools in college football. Ooh, okay. I put Ohio State one, um, put Alabama two, I'll put LSU three, uh, USC four, 
and five, Clemson. The disappointment of your career, the team accomplishments, obviously, and I think you've harped on that enough. Yeah. What's the proudest moment of your career, both as a team and then individually? Um, just be being consistent with my routine, really. Um, obviously, you know, what happened Saturday is just all, um, you know, God's will, whatever he decides to do on that Saturday, but just me coming in here and all the late nights and early mornings, just catching passes, uh, throwing routes with, you know, the quarterbacks and trying to prepare myself the best I can. Uh, four Saturdays is uh, what I'm most proud of. When you're making a decision this important, and I think we all have to remember that you're still in your early 20s. It's not like you're 35 making this decision on, hey, do I do this or do that with my life? But who are you talking to about it? Who is helping you come to this decision that, quite frankly, is probably the most important thing you've done since you picked Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, luckily I have a dad who's kind of been through the process before and uh, have my mom and uh, <clears throat> some teammates and coaches as well, but uh, really just thinking to myself a lot what I want to do. Um, I'm an adult at the end of the day, and I can make my own decisions, but definitely having some people that can help you um, is definitely beneficial. Since we're standing in the end zone, what's your favorite touchdown? Um, favorite touchdown? Ooh, there's a lot. You have 31 to choose from. 31, really. I can't even believe I scored 30. It doesn't even feel like a 30 touchdown. I would say my first one um, in the Rose Bowl. Really, those first three in the Rose Bowl, I would say, are my favorites. Just uh, it's kind of me introducing myself to the college football world at the time, and um, you know, I think my first one was on a fourth and one, and we threw a fade ball. Coach Day just trusts the freshman out there in the Rose Bowl to throw a fade ball to him. So I would say uh, that was probably my favorite touchdown. Were you nervous at all before? Because that's actually a crazy call. Yeah. Of all the people to go to, let's go to the freshman who's never done, never done anything. anything. Were you okay. nervous at all? What are you thinking about in that moment? Uh, I mean. I guess I've shown to him in practice that you know he trusts me to go out there and make the play, and um, no, I think that 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 play was definitely you know, showing me, showed him that, or showed me that I have a lot, that he has a lot of trust in me to go out there and make a play on fourth and one. You know, we have Trayvon Henderson in the backfield, we have T.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jig with so many other options to go through with the ball. You know, he chose me. I think even the last touchdown that game, um, you know, he kind of waved off the play and said, "Just throw the fade to Marvin in the corner of the end zone." It just uh, gave me a lot of confidence moving forward. So I definitely thank Coach Day for that. A couple of other things. I think when people think of Marvin Harrison Jr. and the impact you've had on that wide receiver room, they talk about your work ethic first. We've been joking about it for three years. Every time we're in here, we see you in here. And there's always different people in here. And even I think I mentioned it at the beginning of the year how Garrett talked about how you raised that ceiling in that room. How much pride do you take in that? And you said something at Big Ten Media Days that has stuck with me, the common amongst the, un the, uh, the, common amongst the uncommon. What does that mean? I mean, I think – when you come to Ohio State and you enter that receiver room, you're with the best receivers in the country on college football you know, year in and year out. And uh, we all strive to be you know, the best in that room. And then when you're the best in that room, you're obviously going to be the best in the country because there's so many great talents around you. And uh, you have no choice but to learn from the people ahead of you. And uh, even sometimes the people below you. Like I learned a lot from Carnell this year and uh, Brandon and Noah and Bryson, just what they've been to teach me. So definitely a special room. And we all just try to be the best that we can be. Last thing here. We did this thing on our pod where we did a Mount Rushmore of wide receivers. You obviously made the list. I'm assuming you make your own list because yeah. that's weird if you don't. <laughs> yep. Who are the other three people who joined that Mount Rushmore with Marvin Harrison Jr.? With me? Okay, if I'm on it, if I have to say I'm on it, um, Chris Carter. Ooh, we got, I got to leave somebody out now if I'm on mm -hmm. it. Uh, David Boston. I 
gotta go Michael Jenkins. He has the most most yards. Most yards. So. No, I can't. I can't leave Chris out. I can't leave Chris out. Okay, let's start over. We got Chris Carter, Chris Olave. I'll give you a fifth guy. Fifth guy. Okay. Chris. Okay. Then I'll put David Boston, Michael Jenkins in there. Okay. The fifth guy can just like stand on top of the mountain the, and just like pose. I'll be the fifth guy. That's I'm fair. Gonna, I'm gonna stand on top of the mountain. Let That's them, fair. They can be the big faces. That's fair. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Well, that'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining us today, Marvin Harrison Jr. That's a Heisman Trophy finalist, and I'm me. Uh, check out our, our podcast wherever you find Buckeye Talk and get the text 614-350-3315. Two-week feature out, 399 after that. Thank you. You're right.